Ladies and gentlemen, what's up and welcome back to the Motivated Lawn Care Show. I'm your host, Caleb Nguyen, uh, and today we have Mr. Mike Callahan. He's uh, he's running quite a sizable operation himself in the lawn and landscape industry. I think I think we had talked another time and it was, I want to say, 20 plus crews, which is um, no no easy feat. Uh, he later he later went on to sell that company and start like a business development company. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that today. He's done it really well, and um, the business development company and the things, the spinoffs that he's created for the green industry are are super incredible. And I think that him and, and a couple other guys are going to be leading the industry in the next couple of years with technology, especially with AI and that kind of stuff. So, without further ado, uh, Mr. Mike Callahan, welcome to the welcome to the show. Caleb, thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And we'll jump right in. I want to get the lowdown. What was the story? of the business like when did you start how old were you why did you start what did the progression look like to getting to that point of the, the 20 crews plus and, and growing the business to that point yeah Caleb, really humble beginnings uh my parents uh from an early age thought taught basically work ethic and you had to uh, if you wanted something you have to go after and get it um so basically when i was about 15 16 wanted to get a car um they said that's great you're gonna have to pay for the insurance in the car um, so you better go out and get a job. So there was a, uh, a commercial walk behind lawnmower, a 36 inch mower sitting in the garage. Uh, so I went out and unknowingly started business, knocking on some doors and uh, started to get those clients. And uh, as I worked my way through high school, I ended up going to college for five years for business management. Uh, truth be told, not a big fan of college or school. Uh, probably something necessary to, for networking and time management and things like that. Um, but really wasn't wasn't my thing. I was running the business, but I knew if I didn't end up going the lawn care route, I needed I needed that degree. So uh, stuck with it. But as I was going through school, had uh, probably two or three full time crews by the by the end of college uh, out there out there working while I was in college. And then after I got out of class, I'd go work till dark and then do my schoolwork uh, after that. Uh, but really it became that. Um, kind of that, that fork in the road when you, when you end up graduating college there and you say, hey, do I go the corporate route with all my buddies or do I really continue this lawn care and snow removal company? At that point, we had actually started doing snow removal um, probably the last two years of college as well. Uh, so I had a pretty good understanding of what it was. And uh, candidly, I was probably making a little bit more, well, probably a lot more than I would have with the corporate gig. So you kind of guess the, the route I went. I, I went the lawn care route uh, with the business. Um, but there was it was kind of uh, I want to say a, a misleading or misconception of what business actually should look like through the years. So uh, as I was going through high school and college, there was a lot of local business owners. Um, I really admired uh, a lot of the guys in the lawn care industry as well. Um, there's another gentleman named John who ran a really successful masonry company that we were friends with the family. Um, and then to compound that, uh, the guys teaching these entrepreneur classes in uh, the college that I went to. Um, all were business owners that were working 70, 80 hours a week. And they were literally micromanaging and were the only, the main single point of failure. So if they left that business for a week or two, the thing would have basically self-imploded. Uh, so unknowingly I said, well, that's what success looks like. I'm going to have to go out and build this business. So every little piece of it, whether it's the billing or the training, the scheduling and all the different pieces, they're going to revolve around me. I got to be that guy that I saw everybody else that looked like success. Um, so fast forward, ended up getting married to a girl I was dating all the way through high school and college. And um, 
base guy was working, you know, 80 to hundred hours a week. And some people listen to this can say, you know, probably like, how were you working 80 to hundred hours a week? And other people are like, wow, I'm living that seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Uh, that business is just running my life. Uh, but once again, Caleb, I thought that was success. Like that's what it looked for. There was money in the bank. Um, and believe it or not, can't make it up. Uh, my ex-wife or the wife at that time came home from a work trip on Valentine's day, literally that evening and said, Mike, I'm out of here. This business runs your life. Mm -hmm. So really hit rock bottom. It was a low spot, but, um, you know, with low spots come some good things as well. So thankfully there's no kids in that relationship. So it was a pretty clean cut, uh, but understandably so kind of hit rock bottom and said, man, what do I like in this business? What do I like in my life? Is it my business? You know, what, what's good, what's bad. And one of the things I hated at that point, after it put in perspective was this business it was making great cash, had a great team, but man, it was running my life. So I literally went on the internet and searched, how do you get your life back from your business? Um, and I found Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week. That was kind of when that was hot, probably date myself a little bit, but anybody listening that hasn't heard of Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week, it's worth a good read. Mm -hmm. um, and as I continued down that, that, that tunnel of craziness that night, uh, early hours in the morning, uh, I ran across a product called Infusionsoft, which is now Keep. Um, and they talked about this thing called life cycle marketing and automations how you can literally start taking time back and automate all the mundane and repetitive tasks that I had inadvertently tied myself to this business. So uh, long story short, uh, went from 80 to 100 hours a week to three to five hours a week to eventually becoming an absentee owner. Uh, and as you alluded, eventually, as we started producing these content videos a little before it was popular, um, you know, obviously not Mr. Beast or anything like that on YouTube, but we started making these videos just to literally help business owners uh, learn how to do this stuff before it was really popular. Um, there was an equity group out of Canada that came in and uh, literally called me. I hung up on the guy. I thought it was my buddy Garrett Matthews in Shreveport, Louisiana. Guy called back. He goes, we're interested in buying this business. I go, well, it's not for sale, but um, if you're buying businesses, we are starting to automate them in this new company called Simple Growth. But uh, long story short, you know, when the price is right, everything's for sale. And once okay. they realized what we were doing was the real deal, um, we ended up actually selling the business and um, we ended up uh, getting into a local competitor that we knew from literally about, they started literally down the street within about a month or two of us. Uh, so I went to that local competitor and said, Hey, there's a, there's a it, basically an international equity group that's coming into bias. Uh, would you like a seat at the table to, to actually buy the company? So we ended up selling to the local group uh, for several reasons, but um, they're still running the business, crushing it. Um, they probably got 45, 50 crews on the road right now, um, with the combination of growth. So, um, that's kind of the long care story, a uh, little bit long winded, but now really, uh, my mission and my team's mission is to help business owners take their life back from the business. So we founded this company called simple growth, where we go out and do marketing automations. Uh, we help set up CRMs, um, such as service autopilot or Mike Andy's copilot. Mm -hmm. Um, and we also have a coaching division now. Uh, our masterminds group is million dollar plus companies. You got to be a million at least to qualify. Mm -hmm. And we help those business owners become better leaders and build a culture. And then we have our scale and scale plus group. There's sub million where with has one on one coaching where we help people build and scale and break that million dollar mark. And believe it or not, Caleb, seven to 10 percent of businesses on the high side ever break a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, in sales in the U.S. So that it's a staggering statistic. Um, and now going on our third seven figure business here that I've uh, founded. Uh, I will tell you that a lot of people say it's easier the second or third time. Um, it is a little bit, but the problem is in the first time around with a lawn care company, you don't know what those growth hurdles look like. You don't know what the bottlenecks are and you have no idea how to, how to handle 
half the stuff that's going on while the house is on fire and you're firefighting all day. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, once you've seen it, it's a little bit easier. For sure. For sure. So how many years, over how many years did you build your company? I know you said you started 15, 16, you know, high school years, freshman, sophomore, and then, you know, you all the way through college, how long were you running that company uh, until you eventually sold it to that local group? Yeah, it was probably 26 years ish, 27 ballpark. Um, Yes, we're going on. I think this will be our fifth year uh, as of October, literally at GIE, um, when they signed the final paperwork to sell the business, uh, I was literally sitting at the service autopilot booth when I actually got the text on my phone. Um, so we're going on about five years right now. And uh, that's that's the magical number when that non-compete is actually up to. So I don't know if I'm going to dive back in the industry, but uh, you, you never know. You, you could be seeing my face again uh, on the side of a lawn care flyer or ad. Give me a little bit of the rundown, too, of um, what did it look like? What did the growth look like? When, what, like, what year were you at when you said, okay, it's time to start like building this thing into more than just a glorified job that sucks the life out of me and runs my life? Like, how many years had you been in the business? Like, how, what were you guys doing in revenue at that point? How did you scale from there? What did all that kind of look like? And, and how soon on was that? How many years in was that? Yeah, I don't know the exact revenue number, but it was definitely north of a million, uh, probably south of two million is my guess, ballpark, looking back at it. Um, it was probably uh, probably two to three years out of college. So you figure it's, it's it was probably seven or eight years total. Um, obviously, through school, it wasn't like a full time focus. But like I said, we had a few a few crews on the truck or a few trucks on the road. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily a small business at that point. Um, but basically, it, 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 it kind of hit that point where, you know, personally that that hit rock bottom and i was like wow like this is this is this is not the way to do this um on top of that and, and i'm not on a pedestal preaching at all and i'll be really transparent at that point we really didn't know our numbers um as well as we should have uh we were tracking certain kpis but to, to say we had a break-even number dialed in 100 percent uh per division we didn't um we knew what we needed to charge per man hour we were tracking basic kpis budget versus actual uh but basically that that whole process um, evolved probably right before that. We were using a, a product called Clip Software, okay. um, and Clip Software had a, a, gen, a, a lawn care company tied to it, very similar uh, to Service Autopilot. Jonathan Petoshnik mm-hmm. has City Turf. Um, uh, the gentleman that founded Clip uh, basically created a lawn care company to test out his theories, um, and there was a gentleman named Jonathan uh, that ran Clip Lawn Care. Uh, so I paid for Jonathan to actually fly in to Rochester, upstate New York, where I'm at, and help me go in and take a look at uh, piece rate pay or P for P, it's called now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably right before that divorce, we started to dial that in. Um, and that was a big game changer. We fixed the, we fixed that um, that basically the biggest expense of labor uh, shortly before that or shortly after that. I think it might have been shortly before that. Um we had gone out and I had hired a, a financial consultant and I thought I had the numbers dialed in pretty good. Um, and like I said, 95% of it, 90% of it was pre-dialed. And they came in and confirmed it, tweaked a few things, how to set up a chart of accounts and QuickBooks. Um, and that was kind of the foundation. So we, we, we had built a budget. We knew our break even, um, what we needed to charge per division, what it cost us. Uh, and then we shifted that P for P model. So we'd fix that labor cost. Mm. Uh, so that's where the business really started to ramp up. Uh, we went for another year or two in that process. And then eventually we shifted to um, service autopilot. And I found service autopilot uh, by mishap, really. 
I'd seen some of the Lawn Care Millionaire videos with Jonathan, yeah. uh, but, but really hadn't been introduced to it. But I went and um, bought a distributorship through Be Safe Organics. So we bought all of basically upstate Rochester area uh, for distributorship. And the gentleman, Tom Kelly, uh, that ran that, ran one of the largest private fertilizing companies across the whole Northeast. So Tom uh, mentioned me a little bit with some of the the, the financials that I had. Um, and he started to explain marketing. Um, so that kind of just turned the light bulb on like, hmm, okay, like there's this marketing thing that I really need to figure out how to like literally, um, as Jonathan Potoshnik uses the example here, and this will kind of come first circle, circle, but like imagine this vending machine, you got all your perfect clients in there. And mm -hmm. if you knew every hundred dollars you put in there, your perfect client kicked out. Yeah. Um, Tom kind of introduced that concept to me. I'd never been exposed to it, uh, mm -hmm. but along with BeSafe's uh, distributorship, became I got a free year of service autopilot. Um, so that's when things really changed. I dug into the software and literally, uh, just like I did with the automations, every waking moment I had in the winter, we weren't plowing snow, I was at the kitchen table or dining room table, not going to the office and just working on service autopilot, how to dial that in, how to use it. Uh, but that's probably what, why our, our foundations of SA is so strong now uh, for Simple Growth. Uh, but the opportunity to actually meet Jonathan Potoshnik was literally, I think, the most pivotal point. Um, and I, obviously, I give credit to the team and the teams we built. But I would say the most influential thing that has happened in my business career that had such an impact was meeting Jonathan um, and the people that I met on that trip. So I went out to Service Autopilot's original office. There was like five or six people in this little office. Wow. And uh, Jonathan and I hung out with a gentleman uh, named Garrett Matthews, uh, Chad Cranston, and another guy, Aaron Suttonfield, um, that we ended up meeting later from another roundtable. Um, but there was an instant connection, and I went into that that meeting with Jonathan for two and a half days, and all I wanted to know was, now that I've kind of got this marketing thing figured out, how do I set up an office to scale? So when I dropped sixty, seventy thousand dollars in April and March, and literally have this influx of 70, 80, 100 phone calls a day. How do I build an office that can support that and not like self-implode? And then how do I actually get it into the software and schedule and manage it and job cost it? Yeah. Uh, so that was that was really kind of leading up to that. But that pivotal point of that that uh, roundtable with Jonathan is really what set the world on fire. And then refining those numbers in the software, knowing if I spend $50,000 on Facebook ads, if I spend $10,000 on door hangers, um, if I do client referrals, and we literally had a non-emotional math game. So every year we drop 60, 70, 80,000 or more in a month and a half into this advertising. And it would just like non-emotionally within a few percent just kick out. Yeah. So that was a game changer. Yeah. Um, with that came a whole ton of problems with employment and quality and other things like that. Um, but that was a game changer because most business owners don't know how to sell. No. Um, and that's been the success with Simple Growth and now Simple Estimate as well. Um, you know, it usually takes a business several years, or in my case, you know, eight to 10, 12 years before you got in there to figure out how to actually create a client acquisition model that didn't revolve around the business owner. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's the pivotal point in my businesses um, and the lawn care company, especially. But now, as we're working with hundreds of businesses a year, in the lawn care industry specifically, that's the magic moment. So it seems to be a common denominator. When, when people figure that out, that's how you break that million dollar mark. Mm, okay, with the marketing, yeah, client acquisition. Okay, gotcha. And when you sold the the company, how many how many trucks did you have? What was the, what was like? The yeah, there was about, yeah, um, well, 
non-disclosure wise, I probably for another few months, I can't get the exact revenue, but you can kind okay. of do the math, but you're, yeah. you're looking at about 19 or 20 trucks on the road. Okay. A pretty good sized company, snow yeah. removal. We were plowing approximately 180 acres of pavement every time we went out on a full run. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So it was it, in a good way, but it was still, it was a three ring circus. I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, if you're living in upstate Newark yourself in Syracuse, you know, uh, lakeside, we're averaging uh, about a, so average we're here is about 100 to 110 inches. Lakeside's 130 inches. Yeah. Uh, so we were we were running 24 to 25 residential runs at three inches, and then commercial um, between a two inch and zero tolerance anywhere from 35 to maybe 65 runs a year plus yeah. all run. That's, I mean, it was that's wild. insane. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. No, and I think I think I hear, heard a lot like the thing I was going to even ask like what are most people missing as they because there's a lot of guys who are like they're at one crew or they're they're even just starting out and they've got their 40, 50 clients. It's just them. They're looking to hire an employee and they just have like high aspirations, high goals for their business. And it sounds like the things that people are missing is actually tracking your numbers. Like even you said, like you can even track within 90 to 95%, but the last little bit dialing it in is going to make a lot of, a lot of difference. And then also like having a good, like client acquisition, like, like you said, it's a, it's a vending machine. I've said it as like an ATM before we just boom, um, you put in your money and you know, you're going to get, you know, a certain amount of clients out within, you know, very, very close. Obviously it's not perfect. There's always little variables involved, but like getting it very close in there. Um, I'm going to share some, some goals for us. And I want to see what your advice would be for me, my company going forward. I think it'd be helpful for yeah. the um, more in a similar position to me. Yeah, um, Caleb, before you dive into that, I just want to touch on the one thing you said about the couple sure. things you mentioned. Yeah. Really what I've defined it down to, if anybody's listening or watching this, it's really six simple steps. We want to create a simple business. So step one is managing your time. So yep. we need to have at least four hours a week to work on the business, not in it. So 80% of the time you're spending is going to be in the business, like working out in the field, doing those things, producing income. The other 20% is at Michael Gerber working on it, not in it. Mm -hmm. We need about four hours a week. What I found, no matter the size of the business. Now that may be after you're done working in the field. Second one is your finances. We need to get your business finances in order. We need those that break even number. We need to know what we need to charge for our goals at a bare minimal. And we need to have our QuickBooks or whatever reason for our finances reconciled by the 10th or 15th of the following month. In addition, the other issue that we're going to find, especially when we're starting out, when we're itty bitty, or especially when we're big, if we haven't figured this out, because this is where you get in trouble, is your personal finances. You can't be robbing Peter to pay Paul. So when you're running a financial statement, your profit and loss statement um, does not reflect debt, which is your loans. So you may have made $100,000 in a P&L, but if you're running 150000 in loans, you're still upside down 50000 negative cash flow. Mm -hmm. And in addition, your personal draws. So if you're not paying a market-based wage on your P&L, which you should be, uh, there may be some tax benefits. you got to talk to an accountant. But it needs to be at least a market-based wage. But any of those distributions or things you're pulling off the back end are not going to show up in your P&L. So your personal habits or whatever you're doing may be bleeding the business cash flow dry. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the second thing. Third thing is we want to go in is create a simple business. So the other thing around this where a business owner, if you're trying to get to a half a million or a million, you're doing a lot of everything. So this is a big mistake that I made in the early days. We're trying to offer 10, 15 different services. Hey, we got a pressure washer in the back of the shop. Let's, you know, let's get into pressure washing. We've got this thing. We paid X amount of dollars and we can pressure wash the equipment. We should get into pressure washing. You mm -hmm. shouldn't. Two or three core services we're building up to at least a million. And then out, 
We don't build out and then up. That's not a scalable business. And that's where the business owner is going to wear all those hats and literally almost kill themselves like I did. Mm -hmm. The fourth one right now, which is very important, is hiring key employees. Mm -hmm. Want to be able to go out and hire those A players. And that's when we start to get really clear about our values and our purpose and our mission. So, Caleb, if you're on a sports team, would you ever want to, you know, would you ever want to be on a sports team or would you ever want to go to a sporting event with no scoreboard? Probably not, right? Well, the problem is a lot of us have hired some of these A players and what we're doing is putting A players on the field with no scoreboard. They don't know what winning looks like and they don't know if they're winning. So we need to build that in um, and hire these key players and put those things in place. Next thing is, is we're going to go in, uh, step number five is going to be our client acquisition. So this is exactly that marketing piece. So you need to have all these pieces in line before we actually put the jet fuel in the, in the, in the jet and actually launch the marketing and the sales piece. And that's where luckily enough, I got, I got to Jonathan before I actually did that. And we got those things in order. And then the fifth one is leadership. So when you become 750 to a million to two to three to five to 10 million and beyond, um, a gentleman, Clayton Mass that started Infusionsoft, Clayton, as he went from literally 10 million to 200 million a year in sales, Clayton told his company, I'm not the leader I need to be to be at 15 million or 20 million, but I'm going to educate and become the leader I need to be when we get there. So it's not uh, enough to just literally go out and work and do everything. You got to be listening to the podcast and the Zoom calls that we're doing here. You need to be surrounding yourself with people who have been there and done it and seen it. And how do you be, educate yourself to become the leader you need to be at the next place? And, and if you hit a plateau and you can't become that leader, you have to be self-aware enough to hire that person to be that person that it's CEO or CFO and run that piece of the business. So I, I, I want to get into your question, but I want to lay that out yeah. because a lot of times when people get into our masterminds group, that million dollar exclusive plus group, they'll have two or three of those five steps, but you may have a, a $5 million company that doesn't know its numbers. Like they're literally playing Russian roulette with their personal finances in their life. Like it's crazy. Um, so that's the other thing I learned in my local market, looking at some of these guys that I thought that's how you run a business. Mm. Lo and behold, some of these guys doing two, three million didn't have any of their financial house in order. You see all the brand new trucks, all the new equipment that doesn't mean anything unless at the bottom line, you're making profit. You got to work life balance. So, mm. uh, those, those five steps or six steps of business, um, are, are going to be key. So it's your, your time, your finances, simple business. Uh, hiring key employees, client acquisition model, and then the leadership. And those are going to be the six areas you want to look at pretty much in that progression. Uh, we jumped around and it hurt us several years. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to thank you. Yeah. You definitely laid it out in a more structured way. My, my answer is a little bit off the wall, but um, yeah, I even think of that and I'm like, we've got probably like three or four of the six down. Like we got great employees. We got great client acquisition. Um, but some of those things I'm like, man, we really need to know our numbers a little bit better than we do. And it's made a change for the better, but it's like, there's just things. Yeah. I think if all six yeah. lines, like it's, it's go time. So. Yeah. And the scary thing is that that bank account balance accounting. Mm -hmm. um, so I will tell you after that divorce. Um, so yeah, kind of going back to, we had a little of that kind of clean. We definitely had most of those numbers dialed in before that divorce, because I was still checking those key KPIs every day, every week. Mm -hmm. um, and traditionally at that size, if I had 125, 150,000 in the bank ballpark, that's about what our, our operating account had in it. Like that, that was, that, that was healthy. That's what it looked like. Mm -hmm. um, but I started looking at the bank account balance after that divorce. I got back into becoming a nightclub DJ, going out, partying, um, and just not doing what I normally did in the business. 
and Christine and Tammy in the office at that time, I think were the main two uh, financial people. Uh, they were so good at getting the money in and starting to run those credit cards on a, on a daily basis that we had the cash was coming in before the bills. Yeah. So by the time we got to November, December, it caught us. I was 70, 75,000 upside down in the hole. Didn't even know it. But if I had been running those numbers as I normally did, mm-hmm. I would have saw that within a week, two weeks, three weeks. We could have course, course corrected because that had happened uh, probably four or five years after that divorce uh, where I saw it in May. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Something's off. Let's let's dial that back. And that ended up being our most profitable year. But if you're not at a bare minimum reconciling your books uh, or having a bookkeeper do it, and you can't you can't look at it by the 10th or 15th of the following month, um, you're you're in trouble. And you're going to be looking at that budget versus actual time uh, is one benchmark and client a um, a cancellation rate as well. Okay. Yeah. No, that's key. And we do our stuff like literally every every I think it's every Saturday evening we go over like basically everything that you just talked about. And then at the end of the month, we'll do all the weeks together. We'll put all the weeks together and then compare it month to month to month as well. And there's been so many things that I've caught. Um, and I definitely, P4P, I think is going to be a huge thing going forward for us because for us, our expenses, like literally the only ex- major expense that we have besides like insurance and um, fuel and materials and rent and that kind of just basic stuff right now is labor and labor is like an insane like it's take it's eaten up like 50 percent of everything at least 50 percent, if not 60 or 70 percent. so it's like it's eating us alive and that's like the biggest hurdle for us right now where it's like we want to pay quality guys to stay on and have a really good company good company atmosphere do good work for our clients and that's but that's eating us alive too on the on the profit side of things where the guys are getting paid well because we want to hire the best guys but we're, our profit is just like suffering because of it too. So, yeah, and you, you nailed it. So, kind of go back to the analogy of the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. What P for P is going to do, or if you if you've heard it before, it's called piece rate. Is going to be basically you're creating a scoreboard, uh, and, and you've got budgeted time that they need to hit, and you have a quality standard. Now, there's two different ways of doing P for P if people are unaware of it. Uh, one's percentage of invoice, and the other one is a um, an hourly rate times the budgeted time. Um, so if you got one guy making 20 bucks an hour and another making 18, both of them would be 18 times of 10 hours and 20 times of 10 hours. So you can have different pay rates as well there. Mm-hmm. Um, with the percentage, you can do it a little bit different. If it's a crew leader, they get a different total piece of that, whatever's left percentage. Um, other main thing too around that is you want to make sure just as you're looking at it, um, H2B, if you have any guys coming in from Guatemala, Mexico, things like that, uh, that legally really does not play anymore. You, you really can't do it um, with the new visa laws and regulations. Obviously, not a labor lawyer, but it's something you want to check into. But as far as I've seen, that doesn't play. Second part is in the States. Uh, if they're obviously just normal workers you're working with, um, it's not a reason to get away from overtime. You actually legally have to pay them overtime. Mm-hmm. So with our guys, we did a, a piece rate or P4P system. They're making twenty-two to twenty-five hundred dollars a year, up and above what they would have made with overtime. So, really, what it's trying to do is you, you want to fix those costs, but you want to take those eight players, give them a scoreboard, let them compete with production and quality. And now, traditionally, management and labor is antagonistic. They're button heads, right? Like, hey, Caleb, you got to get out there. You got to go fast. You got to do better work. Now yeah. I'm like saying, hey, Caleb, how can I help you put more money in your pocket? or on average, raise your, your wage per hour on average because you're more yeah. efficient. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's the game changer. That's and, and and hopefully those good guys or girls that are working with you are hanging out with other good guys and girls that would want to work for you. And now yeah. you've kind of created this thing where you're not having to go out and necessarily run and scram- scramble for employees. They're coming to you. You've got a waiting list basically. Yeah. Um, and that 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 was the game changer as the company got bigger. Mm, yeah, that's huge. I'm gonna jump into real quick some stuff with my business, and then we'll wrap up talking about um, some of the new things that that you're jumping into, especially because. I see like AI and all these things on like right knocking on the door right now. And I see guys already starting to use stuff, but I feel like it's kind of underutilized as well. And we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. for kind of my my business is at kind of uh you know 25, you know, well it's, yeah, 25, 30000 dollars a month range. Um, and we're where the goal is this fall to purchase another truck um to do to run two trucks in snow plowing. Um and then next season, add another truck in the spring, maybe two trucks in the spring. But I also need to obviously hire the right guys to do that, track the numbers correctly so that we're not getting in the red by the end of the season. Um, you know, obviously we want, we want to make a profit as well. What would be your course of action? How would you go about acquiring the clients necessary to to fill both of those trucks for the snow season and then another truck in the spring? What would that, what would your game plan be? I know it's kind of a broad question, but I want to leave it open to wherever you want to take it. Yeah. So there's, there's probably uh, two or three different approaches you want to do. So the first thing is uh, whether you're using an Excel sheet or a software like service autopilot, Mike Andy's co-pilot, um, even if you're using something free like Yardbook, whatever that is, uh, hopefully we've got a database of clients and leads. Okay. So mm-hmm. every time we get an estimate and we lose the estimate, we don't like physically crumple it up and say, yep, the hell with them like we're going to go in and keep a database of all the people mm-hmm. so the, like and, and caleb i'm sure you're well aware of it but there's two or three different types of lists there's a, a list that we own the most var- valuable and then there's a list that we kind of borrow from like google Ad- adwords or uh facebook ads like we're, we're borrowing that list so we want to build our own database and nurture that database so the first place i'm looking is gonna if we've already got that database is we want to go out and actually upsell and, and not a salesy way but we want to educate and upsell our clients to that service. So what we're going to be doing is creating an email campaign with some text messaging, hopefully. Um, but we want to have a strong subject line uh, to something that catches their attention. So like tired, tired of being the last driveway plowed out in your street. And then in the email, that first paragraph ish basically ties into that hook and we're educating the why we're different mm-hmm. and what to look for a first snowplow professional. Boom, click here to get a estimate or uh, my buddy Tyler over here at Integrity Ceiling just actually dropped this in my neighborhood. Uh, he's got a flyer on here and it's got a QR code. So you actually get a live estimate um, through Simple Estimate. Uh, but what Ty- Tyler's got on here is pretty cool, though. I don't know if you can see it, but I can read it out to you. Uh, are you tired of? So he lists all the negative things about seal coating, but this is the same thing in your lawn care or plowing. And then why you should hire us, why they're different. So they're literally painting the picture of like what a person thinks of a snowplow or lawn care contractor. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about why they're different. So a great book, if you guys are looking to kind of uh, up your reading is They Ask, You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to lay some of the foundations of that kind of marketing. And that's something that I was doing in Callahan's Lawn Care is Marcus was doing in River Pools and Spas. So first one, work your database you have, do an upsell campaign through education, but don't be slimy. Just be different. Yeah. Uh, second thing that we're going to be doing is going in. If we already have clients, we want to build some route density. Uh, but before we build the route density, if we have some money, 
uh, to spend it on, we would want to go through online marketing such as Facebook or Google. We're going to cast the digital net. So it's across our whole entire service area. And then what we're going to do, our third step is go to offline marketing to go into all the neighborhoods we're in or the neighborhoods in between. And we're going to build route density. So there's a product called Send Gym. Um, and they have the ability to go in every time we drop a basically imaginary pin on a new house, we get a new client. It does a nine around basically up to two to three times. That's what we actually did with Tyler here yeah. um, in my neighborhood. But we build route density through that. And then we can also through the radius bomb select the whole neighborhood um, and just drop that in as well as we can geo target through Facebook and some different ads through Google. Um, but yeah. online to offline marketing. But the cheapest thing is going to be doing your um, your main database. Um, refer a friend, things like that. Word of mouth, it's all going to work. Uh, but those are the main areas that I'm going to be hitting um, with that. And as you can kind of see, if you're watching the, the video version of this, this Tyler's thing, it's not like a little postcard. It's it's pretty good size. Um, and it's got a picture of him. And it literally has his promise and his guarantee on there. So right off the bat, you're different. So you don't want to make it like we plow driveways for seven or eight hundred dollars, uh, one truck show and, you know, whatever that looks like. You want to go in and discuss the pain points, be different. And that is going to help you overcome any sales or price objections um, and shorten that sales cycle. And actually, if that copy is good enough, it's going to raise the perceived value. So you can charge a higher price um, and, and marketing right now with kind of the downswing in the economy or potential downswing um, is really at the heart of things right now. People aren't spending money, your mm -hmm. competitors. So now the time is to double down. So we're probably well before you were in the lawn care industry, but in 2008, that was a, a massive, massive bad year financially. We doubled or tripled down financially when we started advertising. And like, that's one of the years we blew up. Like we added several crews, like two or three crews at least. Crazy. Um, and that's, it's another thing that I learned from Jonathan Potoshnik, a, a, you know, long care millionaire that basically um, you got to have that cash work chest. Cause when that time hits, you got to go, you got to hit it. And that's what we're doing. Simple estimate right now and simple growth. Cause most of our competitors have contracted. We're going all in and the cost of lead and cost of clients way down. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so that's what you would do on, on marketing side of things. What is your, what would be your game plan? Obviously, if we're, you know, we're filling another truck to three more trucks over the next, you know, 12 months, 18 months, how, how would you go about hiring, finding, finding the work? I'm sure you hear it all the time. Oh, there's no good help these days. I can't find anyone. I would disagree and have my own take, but I want to see what's your take. How would you go about that in a way that's, that's scalable? That's not just calling up all your friends and your buddies and seeing who will work for you but something that's like you can take a cold prospect and, and make them like a great, you know, a great addition to your team and your company culture. How would you go about doing that? Yeah. As you get older, that labor pool will disappear. I used to tap that labor pool and my brother's buddies because he was a bit younger than me. Uh, but yeah, that, that labor pool is going to disappear. So I would not rely on that or get into the mindset of just tapping buddies or, or one of your buddies' buddies. Um, to tap back, last question on the marketing too. If you haven't started marketing, we traditionally started marketing snow plowing the week after the 4th of July scarcity we're filling up fast and we only take so many people because we have quality you should be booked hopefully almost completely by september and beginning of october now if we know we're doing that we're going to be fully booked and we want to add another crew uh we should be going out and interviewing for all the positions in the company um at least twice a week in my opinion maybe if you're a little bit smaller once a week but what we're going to do is uh, i use the analogy of a sports team we're going to build the bench so 
pro scenes have a farm team, right? And they pull people up and down as they're performing. Um, so if somebody gets hurt, they have somebody to pull in. Same exact thing with our business. So when we need someone to work in our business, so no, no call, no show, we fired somebody, they just literally disappeared. We're up a creek. Your current employees already know like they've got your back against the wall and they're in power. So we need to go out and literally interview for every position in the company, in my opinion, at least once or twice a week. Um, and what we're doing is creating the virtual bench. And what you've done is basically created a labor pool or a imaginary hiring checklist. I recommend putting with or without a driver's license and rank them A, B, and C. And right. then we can go out and literally, if we have a software uh, as well we're using, we can nurture them, send, some, send them something once a month, uh, just check it in. And even if we're not hiring them, we're building that thing. So now they're, they're working for the guy down the street that's paying them 20 bucks an hour cash under the table. Um, you know, they're getting overtime at cash and they're, they're happy. Like they're, they're happy. What this guy's finances go right down the toilet and he's not getting paid for a week or two. Who's been show, showing up in his email inbox or his text messages or Facebook messages every month, just like, Hey, touching base. Things are going good over here. Hope things are well. If you ever need something, let us know. Well, when that guy's ready to leave because he hasn't got paid in two weeks, who's he coming to? He's coming to you down the street. Yeah. Um, so actually the guy who ran Callahan's lawn care, I found him about a year, maybe a year and a half earlier than I needed him. Um, in this process, I was actually, the guy came in and he, I interviewed for my position and I was like, well, shit, this guy is really good. It's going to take years to find him. Uh, let me see what I can do. I brought him in and then moved him up. Um, so that, that's the idea. Um, and I will also mention, cause we're coming right up on it here. If you're watching this, you know, somewhat in the, in the real time we're, we're videoing this is, um, there's three or four distinct areas, especially in your area, Caleb, in the upstate New York mm -hmm. that you are going to at scale either fire someone, they're going to quit, or they're just going to disappear. Uh, so if we start right from the beginning of the calendar year, uh, that's going to be um, Memorial Day, uh, 4th of July, within, and this is within about a week or two either way, the middle of August. So my birthday is the 18th. So somewhere around the middle of August 18th, within a week or two, um, and then the week um, before and after the last of October, right, near the end, right before fall cleanup season, at least in upstate New York. And I'm seeing this on average within a two week swing um, across the country. Those are the burnout points in lawn care. Mm. So you're either going to fire somebody, they're going to stop showing up. You're going to have to, they're going to quit. And, and if you know, those are coming instead of interviewing only twice a week, we ramp that up to three times mm. a week in those weeks previous, you'll have that, that labor pool. And when you're at the shop and you've got 20 or 30 guys, and even if you're not the business owner getting them out, but you show up, once in a while and you're talking to the guy running the company and say, Hey, um, I'm going to be tied up in the office for the next two hours. I got job interviews. Everybody kind of looks around and says, wait a minute, we're fully staffed. What's he doing? So we're kind of keeping that, that in play. Mm, okay. That's good. Uh, but yeah, start, start interviewing now. Start and, interviewing and now. Start marketing now for snow plowing. Like right now. Build that bench and, and don't buy that equipment until you have the work to, to actually sus sustain it. Okay. That's the other thing you get into trouble really quickly. Hmm. Um, and as you're doing snow removal, especially anywhere in the country, especially upstate New York, that snow belt, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, um, become friends with your competitors. Lock up contracts right now with them as subcontractors and hmm. back up. You may be paying through the nose, but there's nothing worse than having two or three trucks go down at scale in the middle of the night and you're like up a creek. Yeah. You know, you may be paying these guys $150, $200 an hour but you literally have to back you up. Yeah. And if you have commercial zero tolerance jobs, even at a higher like discounted rate for those big storms, you can pull them in. So we literally would pull in 
an extra 20% labor and workforce and machinery in those big events. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, literally it, it, it cut some of the routes in half. Yeah. They were high, high priority. So that, that allows you to be more competitive. Obviously you got to make sure they got the insurance. You want to have a non-solicit non-compete mm-hmm. um, and have them actually 1099 like subcontractors. But, but that yeah. is proactively, that's the time to start finding those guys now. Mm-hmm. And have you found in the past that even marketing snowplowing now, is it, is it like, what's the effectiveness like? When is the season that that's popping? Because the spring season, obviously everyone knows it's kind of like March through maybe like early May, June. Well, yeah, early, mid-May is like when, when you know, lawn care is popping, at least in my market. Is there a season for that in snowplowing too? Or is it just you got to continuously just be showing up throughout the entire summer? As, and just let the people trickle in. What does that look like? Yeah, no, good, good point. So, um, and I probably wasn't clear enough, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So the place we're starting first, want to fill most of that route with uh, people that are in our database. So we're upselling people we've already talked to and nurtured. Okay. And so most of the people, if you're watching this, at least in upstate New York, you got to renew most of those contracts every year legality because, or it's a three-year contract, but they're signing off on slip and fall and some other things. Uh, for hold harmless, but I'm, I'm I'm handling all my contract renewals right after the Fourth of July, um, and if you have the bandwidth in the spring, most people don't. So you renew those contracts, and then you're working your database to say, hey, we only are accepting X amount of people. We don't overbook. Hit those pain points. We're selling those guys, and then we're walking into September and October. We know what we have left, mm. and that's when we're doing that online offline marketing. Okay. So that's the perspective. Uh, the other thing you're looking at is you're driving around, you're doing your cleanup runs, that there's certain parking lots and things like that that, that need to be uh, serviced better. We're making a list, our top 100 list or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And we're hammering those people. We may even, after the storm in the winter, be targeting them and actually sending them advertisements or emails and saying, hey, uh, notice your service was a little off. Uh, we don't overbook. We do this X, X Y, Z that was not being done. Would you like a quote in the spring for that service? Because they're in the heat of the moment. Um, and the final thing is if, you, if you're doing residential plowing, it's too late now. Uh, but, but basically what we did is we had some guys on salary that literally in the slow time would be doing anything. If they weren't doing equipment maintenance, we would pay them to drive around every residential neighborhood that we were in and literally with a notepad, just put like Main Street and like down at 1, 2, 5, 10, 20, the addresses. We created a database over 10,000 residential driveways already being plowed by our competitors. Yeah. So you know that that's the list we started to hit. Yep. Because we saw the the stakes and the piles of snow. So here's the other thing. If we're going into August or the fall, prime time doing lawn care, Mm -hmm. go out and do the same exact thing. You can tell if lawn's been commercially mowed for the most part in most parts of the north and in the transitional zones from the commercial stripes. We also went out and made a database of every lawn in every neighborhood that we were in and adjoining to that looked like it was being commercially mowed. And the ticket was we didn't know um, on the envelope, but basically, and we'd go out and get the care customer. We didn't know their name. Snowplow customer. And that that was the secret. Um, we sold a ton of work through those. And the cool thing is we went in and paid college kids to come in on a February break to measure those lawns online and based on a pricing matrices behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. we actually did property specific pricing on those. So they literally opened an envelope and said, Hey, it's going to be 65 bucks a cut based on your property. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was it really crazy. So between those nine rounds and those letters, 
I had a gentleman that uh, one of the local bars came up to me and said, Hey, are you Mike? I was like, Hey, how you doing? Shook his hand. He's like, yeah, he, he didn't look happy. But I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading into this. He goes, um, you know, you've been following my trucks around and knocking all the doors and stealing my clients in these two neighborhoods. And I was like, what? Next thing you know, the guy pops me in the face. I go back to hit him. My buddy's like, oh, it's, we're going to have a ruckus. And I just kind of stopped and I said, wait, you said I'm following your trucks around. And that's how we beat you in all these neighborhoods. He's like, yeah, it's the only way. And I was like, here, dude, have a beer. Like, you've already been hit. You don't know what hit you. Um, yeah. But that's the thing. So our, our, our industry, I don't want to say it, it's not educated, but it's it's the last to adopt the shift in technology. Yeah. So we automated Callahan's lawn care, which allowed me to go from 100 hours a week to three to five to half as a toner. We did that probably 12 or 13 years ago, Caleb. Now right. it's just starting to become a popular thing, right? Yeah. So these guys had no idea what was hitting them. The crazy thing is, People are just starting to adopt all this new technology, mm. uh, and, and that's that's the thing. So, like, we'll, we'll touch on it later. But like, Tyler's got it here where he can scan on this postcard, and the person can get an on-demand estimate. Crazy. So, as my buddy Garrett Matthews said, speed kills, or really speed wins. But as you're going through Google or Facebook or however you're finding a contractor, you're just going down the list until you get what you want. And you check it off your list as a consumer. Mm-hmm. People don't want to wait. For you to go out and get them a snow plowing estimate, they want to do it on their time when they're ready to buy. And most of the time, that's not when you're open. Yeah. Um, think about Netflix, Uber, DoorDash, Instacart, mm-hmm. post-COVID. That's the standard. Yeah. 95% of us or 99% of us in this industry have not adopted to the new way of people are buying. We haven't adopted to marketing the way new people are buying. So you may think that like, man, I'm getting crushed by all these low ballers in my, in my market. Or this guy is a lowballer. That's why he's killing me. Mm-hmm. In the early days, guys thought I was a lowballer because there's no way he's growing this quick um, doing this. But really what it was is I had shifted to more of an on-demand system, and we were returning estimates or getting within you know a few hours or half a day. Mm-hmm. You didn't wait for three days. I mean, you imagine like the holiday season walking into Best Buy, cash in hand, ready to buy one of those flat-screen TVs that's on sale. You go up to the register, and there's a clipboard. Put your name, number, address, and email, and I'll call you back when it's convenient you know, for us to get you the, the flat screen. Yeah. What do you? You're hopping on your phone, you're going on to Amazon, and that thing's probably at your door the next day. Yeah. That, but that's the craziness that we're doing in this industry right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that you just started another company called Simple Estimate. Um, what's going on with that? Because I I really love the idea behind it, and I've I've seen the webinars and I've seen all that kind of stuff there. I think you're just touching on it now with the the shift in how people are buying. Um, and I've heard a lot of rebuttals too with people who are like, yeah, well, we want to have like a better like client relationship. We feel like we could do that better if they're not just putting together their own estimate and getting it at 2 a.m. But we have a conversation with them and a relationship with them. Do you have a rebuttal to that? Is it Are they both good options? What is Civil Estimate here to do? Can you give me more details on that as well? Yeah, so not even a pitch Civil Estimate. Um... I mean, you, you, you think about it right now. So like if we were looking at three different ways we're marketing or three different channels as mm-hmm. our previous conversation, some people are going to buy on having a price on a ballpark price on your flyer. Some mm-hmm. people are going to adopt to kind of like Tyler's flyer I showed you, like it's got a bunch of writing. They want to read it. They want to digest it. Um, so everybody's going to buy a little bit different. Uh, but I think the thing we want to look at is with post COVID that has just taken an astronomical shift. People want to buy when they're ready to buy, how they want to buy. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing it right, all the information should be there at their fingertips. 
Now, if they don't want to do a live on-demand estimate, totally cool. You should still have that form on your website. Hmm. Um, I don't think many people are going to be filling out that clipboard to like literally wait to get the estimate when they want it. But if you do have that form, you better have some automations behind it, educating them hmm. uh, about the service, how a professional does it, and addressing the sales and price objections of a contractor. Because it does trust it. They don't trust themselves a higher contractor, and they definitely don't trust us. So hmm. we need to be different. Yeah. Um, no matter where we sell it. But at the end of the day, I don't remember the last time I wanted to talk to somebody. Like I literally, we're going, we're going on vacation another few weeks here to like uh, church. I didn't want to call the hotel to see how I got the transportation from the hotel to there. I literally went on the website, clicked the thing and said, okay, when you're arriving, what's your flight number? When are you supposed to get in? Boom, throw your card and you're done. And I just checked it off the list. Yeah. And that's how today's consumers buy uh, you may have an older subset that hasn't adopted to that 100%, but my mom's in her 70s. She's going on Amazon. She's shopping. She's on Facebook. Like, it's it's accelerated, right? Um, so still give them that option. But if you don't have an on-demand buying experience, and I don't care who you're using, you are losing. Um, and, and that's just the case. And, and it's not where I go back to that low-baller, low like the guy down the street that's killing you. Mm-hmm. He's, he's probably not a low-baller. What he's done is given them the option to buy really quickly when they want it. Mm. And that's, that's basically you're giving your competitors the, the advantage yeah. if you don't have that. Um, and if I was to ask you, or I won't put you on the spot, but when people come into our masterminds group a lot of time, we're talking three, $4 million companies. How long does it take to get an estimate back? Some someone will say two to three days. Yeah. It's gotta be within minutes or at least a bit like two or three business days, if it's design, build, or construction, maybe a little bit longer, but yeah. you better be communicating value up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something we could do better because it's sometimes it's hit or miss. We don't have like, they'll get the automated responses and they'll get that kind of stuff. Um, like you were talking about, like the nurture and that kind of thing, depending on what kind of estimate that they want. Um, but for sure we could, and I heard this from someone that I go to church with him and he has like a painting business and it's not even highly automated or anything special, but he literally, he just told me, he was like, one of the things, one of the reasons that I've done so well is when the phone rings, even if I'm in the middle of my work, I will stop and pick up the phone and I will quote these people at a price that's 10%, 15% more than my competition. But I was the very first person who picked up the phone. They didn't get a voicemail and I win those jobs 90% of the time simply because I pick up the phone then and get them an estimate like right then or the next day. And like, I'm the first one to pick up the phone. And that, that shifted my mindset for sure. Like a lot. Um, yeah. It seems really basic nowadays, but I mean, I was trying to hire an electrical contractor this spring. Nobody picked up the phone. Hmm. Um, so it's just going to scale, scale that you may not have the money for a full-time admin, hmm. or do you want to manage their teach that skill set? Um, there's other companies out there like call boss. Yeah. Um, very, very reasonable, but they're going to answer your phone. If you have a pricing matrix, so a quote over the phone, Mm. somebody's picking up. It's not a call center though. Like it's literally, it's your office. Yeah. Um, and that's the difference. But I mean, it's simple as something as simple as just picking up the phone, answering it. You're going to be 85 to 90% of your competitors right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you can give them a, a price over the phone. Yeah. Or allow them and, you know, handle that journey themselves. You're, mm. you're going to win. Um, and that's, that's, that's as simple as it gets. Yeah. It, it seems crazy nowadays that, that that still wins, but it does. Yeah. Question about simple estimate then too, especially because I even think about the last time I bought um, I bought a book called it's called Psycho Cybernetics. It's really really interesting book. And I literally went on Amazon. I'd heard about it. 
I literally went on Amazon, my card is saved, the address is saved. I literally go in, click on it, buy, and then click continue to check out and then just boom, bought it. And it was shipped within like two days. It was literally, it was there. Um, you know, free shipping and all that, all that good stuff too. Does simple estimate have that feature too, where they go in, they automate, like it gets them their estimate. Um, and then they can literally just put in their, their card information and all that stuff. And boom, you're, they're already in the schedule and they get scheduled in the day that we do that area. Does it have that capability to like work with co-pilot and that kind of stuff yet? What does that yeah, look it's, like? It's about 95% of what you expect, expect uh, explain. So basically the idea is like you go on your website, the person types in the address, it's Google verified. And it pulls up a map and literally with their, their mouse or their finger, they can color in the service area, whether it's lawn or driveway. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to quote a property specific price based off your company's pricing. Um, and basically they can go in and accept it. If they use service autopilot, that lead or client, depending how it comes in, is going to be synced to the software, no double entry, and has the PCI compliant credit card form. It captures mm -hmm. the information. And then what it does is create a ticket or basically a to-do for someone to schedule that job. Okay. Um, the AI is not there in Copilot or SA to actually do a basically inline booking. It's like, hey, we're in that neighborhood that day, put it there. Um, I can't speak to service autopilot. I'm assuming they're looking at that. I know Mike Andy's definitely has been very vocal about that. Um, that's his focus in 2024 coming up. Um, and then the next integration that we want to be looking at is Mike Andy's Copilot um, there as well. So we're we're just about to start helping people set up their pricing matrices automations on Copilot. Um, so that, that you know, in, in a nutshell, that's it. Uh, you touched on AI too, artificial intelligence. Uh, we have and continue to develop the AI for Simple Estimate. Um, there's some other great products in there out on the market right now that work really good in some markets. In some markets, uh, the AI, the seasoning of the learning development hasn't just quite got there yet. Um, so we are eventually going to be shifting to the option to have Basically, you type in the, the the address, and it will literally calculate the square footage for you. You can confirm it. Yeah. Uh, but we're finding in some markets, uh, especially with the couple of the competitor, or well, the one or two competitors that are actually doing. Not mention names. Great product. Nothing wrong with that for sure. Uh, but we've had a few people come over to simple estimate because, uh, like, one guy had 120, 130 estimate requests in a month, and only like 10 of them actually got to the pricing because it took so long for the machine learning to actually calculate the price. So it was our feeling doing some maybe split testing uh, with our product and seeing some stats with some other products that uh, speed's gonna win. People don't wanna wait there, wait for it. So we allow them to physically color it in, but we also realized though, is people trust it more and there's almost an emotional connection. So the conversion ratio was actually a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. So as we add the AI in where it just measures it and spits it out for you, we're gonna give our consumer the ability to select which one or give the consumer their, their potential consumer the ability to say, hey, automatically measure it or I want to physically color in my area. Uh, but you're right, the, the, it's going there, that's the next shift. Is it there 100%? Not really. Uh, ChatGPT and a couple of things that have happened uh, recently in the news, um, the AI is there, but it's just not there 100%. Um, I think the online measuring AI is significantly farther ahead than some of the ChatGPT and things like that. Hmm. But we're, we're taking a different approach to it. We're gonna have both. Uh, but we just haven't released the actual AI piece because we want to make sure that that speed and conversion is there when people buy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Using the AI. And there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, AI, just because. And they're getting excited just because. And I'm like, it's actually making your life more complicated to go in and chat GPT, ask it to type you out an email, go in, edit its email, do this, do that. But I'm like, I could type up the email in the same amount of time. And it sounds like a human. So sometimes it's like, 
don't force the AI into the into the hole just because it makes you feel more like technologically advanced. Use it for what it's going to be better for. That's what it sounds like you guys are doing too. You're here to have better conversion rates. Like that's what we're here for. Spend less time, spend less money, convert more more customers, uh, more clients, and get more money per client. Um, so yeah, I I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, is there any is there any final words or final things that you wanna you wanna mention here for the guys listening? Um, who are running lawn landscape businesses and, and looking to looking to seriously grow and take their business to the next level before we before we hop on. Yeah, I would say respect your time. You got to get those four hours a week. Get those finances in order. Got to make that make that a big a priority. Make sure you're not bleeding the, the business drive from yourself. Mm. Third thing, create a simple business. If you're doing 30, 40 services or even 10, get it to something that's scalable. Two, three services. Um, if I'm going out maybe outside of upstate New York with the pesticide laws, but actually I don't mind the pesticide laws because it's barren entry, but fertilization and weed control, what are the highest margin services? So instead of having two guys on a mowing crew, you have one fertilizing technician. And then around that core service, what can I upsell while I'm already there? So example of fertilization is we're doing the fertilization. We can do the perimeter pests. We can do the mosquito control. Um, and if you're down south, you probably do the fire ant control. And now you have four services that utilize the same equipment setup, basically the same truck. And you're only adding an extra five to 10 minutes per service. No additional mobilization. What you've done is taken uh, one service and you've doubled or tripled or quadrupled your ticket item. Um, so that's the key. So we, we want to create simple. And within the simple, we want an ability we can upsell more additional simple services. And then we get to a million, two million, then we'll spread out. And then we start to utilize that database to market to. Then we're going to go out. And we got to hire those key employees and get that dialed in, make sure there's a culture fit. And we want to go in and create some core values uh, with the team, the core team. But what we're going to do with those core values is we're going to hire, train, and eventually coach up or coach out, basically fire to those core values. Those are, That's the things you're going to live and die by. Um, so you as a business owner, uh, you don't have a choice. You have to, you have to stick to those values. Now the team made it and it's going to hold you accountable. Then we go in and build that marketing machine. We're going to build that machine. We're going to drop the jet fuel in and we're going to blow this thing up in a good way. Yeah. And now that we've gotten to a million, we got to become the leader that we need to be. Um, and that's what's going on. Actually, it's kind of crazy just driving through the neighborhood with our buddy from Integrity Steel. So, um, but yeah, that, that is, that's exactly where I would do. Look at those six simple steps. Um, if people are interested. Uh, we are actually offering a free business analysis. Uh, it's usually 600 bucks, 597. Uh, sgscall.com and uh, the crazy thing about simple growth we didn't touch about it is 95% of the, the guys and girls working on the team are all past clients mm. so um, and they've all owned seven figure businesses mm. and they've all used the softwares we're talking about um, so they don't just teach the features or functions or kind of theory like the scars are still you know fresh uh, a bunch of our other coaches from the scale of masterminds group are all running three to five million dollar companies plus Mm. And they're basically working one or two days a week in the business and they're bored and they want to help other business owners. So they actually um, will do one-on-one -on -one coaching once a month or twice a month for accountability. We walk through a lot of the KPIs or key performance indicator stats to hold you um, accountable. Those, those six steps of a business, uh, simple steps, basically, they're going to walk you through those. Mm. And if you got it dialed in, great. If not, we move on to the next. But that, that's the key. But if you're doing it yourself, um, focus on those, those six simple steps because that's going to be the key to get to a million and beyond. I love it. I love it. 
Thank you, Mr. Callahan, for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm going to put some links down below to all the stuff we just talked about um, so that you guys can check it out if you want to speak with them. Um, simple estimate as well. I'm definitely going to be using it, especially this, you know, this, this uh, fall and winter season as we grow out the business more. And we'll have to have you on soon and, and see how the how simple estimate is going with, especially with this integration to Copilot. We made the switch to Copilot here this summer, which was which was a little bit crazy, but um, we're loving it so far. So thank you again for, for coming on. We'll have to have you on soon. And uh, yeah, just appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. Thanks for everything you do for the industry and helping educate uh, the green collar industry. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, you guys have a good one. Uh, if you want to drop us a five-star review too, you know, I wouldn't mind that either. And uh, we'll catch you again next week.